It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Welcome to the Engage in Truth broadcast. This is where we go deep into the Word of God together. I am so glad that you tuned in today. My name is Steve Ford, and I'm going to be your host. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I'd like to wish my son Jake a very happy birthday. He turns 25 today. I can't believe it. Well, in recent episodes, Pastor John Bornstein and I have had a great time discussing the radical teachings of Jesus. We'll review some more of them today. These are the scriptures you read and say to yourself, whoa, did Jesus really just say that? We need to remember that as Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Yes, the God of all creation literally came to earth and dwelt among us as a man. Jesus tells Philip in John 14.9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God, and as such, he deserves and demands our undivided commitment. He tells us this very thing in some of his radical teachings. Remember in Luke 9, 23, 25, where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Later in Luke 14, 26, 33, we hear Jesus say, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? If he does not, When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now that is radical. Some years ago, Pastor Chuck Swindoll wrote a a discipleship book, actually. It was called So You Want to Be Like Christ. It's a great book. It's a call to godliness and discipleship for those new to the faith and experienced believers alike. He calls this an invitation to live life as Christ intended. Based on this book, we'll talk about how to achieve the relationship that we so long for with God through the following disciplines, intimacy with Him, simplicity, silence and solitude, surrender, prayer, humility, self-control, and sacrifice. My friend and brother in Christ, Paul Peterson we're reading this book together, and he pointed out to me that the order here is not a coincidence, but rather these attributes, these, dis- these disciplines really build on each other. So our focus, our mission statement today is going to be from Philippians 3.10. These are the words of the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the Amplified New Testament. It reads, For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power coming from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. I'd like to read that one more time because this is... This is the mission statement not only for today, but I believe this should, this should be our mission statement for every day. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, 
perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power coming from his resurrection which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings, that's an important part there, as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. All I can say is amen. Well, this tends to be the fastest 25 minutes in the week. Our time is going to get away from us quickly. So let's go ahead and get started into these eight disciplines. Once again, intimacy, simplicity, silence, solitude, surrender, prayer, humility, self-control, and sacrifice. First, intimacy. How do we achieve the intimacy with God that we so long for? It requires action. It requires discipline. I'm not sure if there's another time in human history where, we live, where people have lived so distracted lives. I mean, cell phones chirping with calls and texts and Alexa and Siri. Our technology is 24-7. Information, entertainment at our fingertips. It, it can be seemingly constant. It, it fragments our time and our concentration. How are we supposed to find God in the midst of all this noise? Thankfully, as always, Scripture gives us the answer. We read in Acts 17.27, God is actually not far from each one of us. And in Timothy 4, Paul instructs his son of the faith and us to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. First, we need to distinguish between what is religion and what is intimacy. So if we just do things for our children, but we don't listen to them or spend time with them, is there really intimacy in that? Likewise, intimacy with our Heavenly Father is much more than just doing things for Him. It's easy, sometimes easy to do that. It's easy for us to become busy for God. And like the Church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 lose our love for God, which is really what this relationship is all about and what our Heavenly Father desires. So what is intimacy? It is, and I quote, this is the definition on the internet, a warm and satisfying friendship developing through long association on a personal and private level. You know, we see that type of intimacy with Jesus in the life of the Apostle Paul. For example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 10, when Paul asked that his thorn in the flesh be removed. We don't know exactly what that is, but we know that it was something that seriously bothered Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So intimacy with God means spending time with Him. I mean, when you think about it, it's really pretty straightforward. We need to speak to Him throughout the day. How would you like it if your children, if my children, didn't really share their thoughts with us? Especially those of us with teenagers and adult children, it can be so hard to get them to open up, but we cherish those times when they do. I know for myself, when I'm not feeling close to the Lord, it's because I've stopped speaking to Him. I've become preoccupied with my own agenda. The next discipline, so that was intimacy. The next discipline is simplicity, uncluttering our lives and minds. Well, when you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, I mean, I mean this, is, this is really interesting. I mean, do you find a distracted Jesus? 
You find an OCD Jesus, a multitasking Jesus, or how about a post-it note Jesus? The answer is E, none of the above. Jesus was focused and determined. He was never early. He was never late. Toby Mack in a song titled Help is on the Way declares, Well, I've seen my share of troubles, but the Lord ain't failed me yet. So I'm holding on to the promise, y'all, that he's rolling up his sleeves again. It may be midnight or midday. It's never early and never late. He's going to stand by what he claims. Help is on the way. When we look at Jesus, we see him exemplifying the art of simplicity in his relationship with the Father. So how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus down this path? Well, Chuck Swindoll gives us four things to think about as we seek to unclutter our minds and our lives. Number one, most of us today say yes to far too many things. Are we saying yes because we have a lack of boundaries? Is there some unmet need to be needed by others that God has, that God can meet for us instead? I mean, this is, this is a serious issue that requires uh, just internal reflection for each one of us. Is this something that we're being bogged down by, this need to be needed by others? And is it affecting, is it negatively impacting our relationship with the, with the Lord? In the words of Lewis Sperry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, and this is really cutting, he says, Much of our activity today is cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. Ouch. In medicine, we call that a full thickness burn. Second, Chuck says that we, we don't plan time for leisure, rejuvenation. Well, we may not. But we can see in scripture that Jesus did. In Mark 6, we see Jesus ushering his apostles into a time of rest after what was likely an exhausting period of ministry for them. It says, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over all the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. So for us, no credit cards, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Taking time for leisure can be so beneficial in many, many different ways. It promotes mental health. It helps to boost our creativity. It, it increases our productivity. It promotes well-being. It reduces stress, improves mood, strengthens relationships. Sounds like a good recipe for the post-COVID world. If need be, we need to sometimes think about adding this time into our calendars. We put everything else in there, our calendars and our planners. Sometimes we need to add this in there as well. It may sound self-serving, but sometimes we really do need to take care of ourselves in order to be ready to take care of others. Number three, under the heading of simplicity, is financial debt. Many of us carry the burden of too much financial debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Not good. This is largely self-explanatory, and those of us who have been adults for any length of time, we can easily be convicted by recalling our own poor financial decisions. I mean, I can remember the early days of my family when my kids were young, transferring our credit card balances to whatever 
low interest credit card I could find. Our financial decisions, they just, they weren't the best. It was a mess. We need to remember that life can be like driving a car. We have a big windshield and we've got a tiny rear view mirror. We need to be focused on where we're going today with only occasional glances backward to see where we've been. I see no indication in scripture, absolutely none, that we are to be bogged down in self-recrimination. In fact, I can guarantee you that if you hear that, that is not the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to learn from our mistakes and move forward. So let's talk to the Lord. If we need to, let's repent. And let's ask for his help in financial decisions moving forward. Maybe maybe before we, we make that next credit card purchase, we can present our needs to the Lord and see what happens. Number four, and we've talked about this a little bit, is the intrusiveness of technology. Technology in and of itself is neither good nor bad. But in our culture, it's seemingly accessible and utilized almost everywhere and by almost everyone. Arguably, this has not been a big issue at other times in history, especially as we read about the New Testament church. So in that case, does Scripture really have anything pertinent to say about this? I think it does. 1 John 2, 15, 17 reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We really need to think about the works that we do, the things that we're involved in. Are these gold, silver, and precious stones that will last for eternity? Or are we getting bogged down in hay, wood, and stubble? Isn't this really a case of moderation in all things? Moderation is based on self-control. As you remember from Galatians, self-control is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The counterculture of the 1960s said, turn on, tune in, and drop out. But what would happen today if we occasionally turned off, tuned out, and dropped off our electronic devices and instead listened for the still, small voice of God? Our next discipline to consider is really a combination of two. It's silence and solitude. And this can involve slowing our pace. What we're really trying to do is when you, when you think about what we've talked about so far, is reorder our lives according to a different set of priorities. Psalm 46, 8-11 says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Well, Selah is an interesting word. For those of you who read the Psalms, you'll see that it keeps popping up. Nobody knows for sure what it really means, but some Hebrew scholars believe that it means pause. And that's really the essence of what we're talking about here. Be still and know that I am God. The language here is not a suggestion, but Rather, it's a command. So what does that look like? How are we to be still and acknowledge the awesomeness of God? Have you ever tried to have a meaningful conversation with someone that you deeply care about over a meal at a crowded and noisy restaurant? It can be difficult and frustrating. So when we think about silence and solitude with God, 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 5, 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We deal with so much noise and clamoring. And frankly, it's, it's really, it's incredible. But when we get to the point of quiet and stillness, don't you think it can feel a little unsettling? The narrative in the Gospel of Mark is action-packed. It's filled with numerous and immediately statements regarding the workings of Jesus. Yet in Mark 1.35, here we see Jesus speaking. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Well, unsettling or not, if it was important for Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, to get away from the crowds and the noise in order to embrace silence and solitude before his Father, how much more important for us. In 1 Samuel 3.10, we see young Samuel in silence and solitude before the Lord. It says, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. May we be the same before the Lord. I can't encourage you enough to find a designated place and routinely spend time there before the Lord in silence and solitude. You will be so blessed. This place can be indoors. It can be outdoors. It can be both. Let let God speak into your heart. And especially in these crazy, perilous times, or sometimes we can't even believe the, the headlines that we're reading. They seem beyond the pale. Let him calm your mind. The next discipline is surrender. Chuck calls this releasing our grip. I think that for many of us, this may very well be the toughest of the disciplines that we're going to discuss today. In Hebrews 12, 1, 2, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The race before us makes me remember scripture that says that God has created works ahead of time for us to do. That's our race. Notice that this verse mentions both weight and sin, and it mentions them separately. So the weight is not necessarily sinful, of, in and of itself. Have you ever tried to run with ankle weights on or maybe a heavy backpack? How much faster would you run without them? Could the cares and concerns of this world be the weight the author of Hebrews has in mind? Having our productivity choked out like the seed that falls among the thorns in the parable of the sower? Or could it be like the heavy shame and lack of faith that falls from the back of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress? It really, in essence, is whatever inhibits us each day from giving God what Oswald Chambers calls, whose writings I love, he calls it our utmost for his highest, or in other words, our best for God's glory. When we're speaking about the issue of sin in regards to surrender, aren't we really talking about who's going to be God? Are we going to be the small G God of our lives? Or is it going to be the most holy God 
King of Kings and Lord of Lords. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Great Divorce, There are two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. And really, you just, you just can't beat C.S. Lewis to just distill an issue. I'd like to read about this struggle, the struggle for control. There's a, a prayer, it's a Puritan prayer called Man and Nothing, and it really, it really speaks to me about this. It says, When thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldst take care of me, I suffice myself. When I would depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, love, honor, trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to man's approbation and am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy, nor my own Christ to restore my joy, nor nor my own spirit to teach, guide, rule me. Help me to see that grace does this by providential affliction. For when my credit is God, thou dost cast me lower. For when riches are my idol, thou dost wing them away. When pleasure is all, thou dost turn it into bitterness. Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, and lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold a departing spirit. Then take me to the cross and leave me there. So what does surrender look like and how do we accomplish it? We've already identified the answer in Hebrews 12 too. Look to Christ. We need to study Christ and compare ourselves to Him. He is the basis for our comparison. Years ago, I was studying martial arts. I was actually studying Krav Maga. And I would watch mixed martial arts competitions and trying to observe the best in the world and study their techniques. It's the same for any sport or skill. Other people I've known, even people who have gone pro, have spent years watching those who know how to do it best. If our goal is to be more godly, Well, nobody has ever lived or ever will live a more godly life than Jesus Christ. Under the direction of the Spirit, Paul points the way for us in Philippians 2. He writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord to the glory of God the Father. A friend of mine used to say, do it now or do it later, but all of us will will bend the knee at one point and at one point declare Jesus Christ is Lord. We can do it now and be saved or we can do it later. So what are some of the things we need to surrender to have a servant's attitude toward God or towards others? How about surrendering our possessions to God? 
What if we made a list of the material possessions that are near and dear to our hearts, go before the Lord and release them to him by name, one by one? What if we declare him the owner of each item? After all, Psalm 24, one reads, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In 1 Timothy, we read, but godliness with contentment is of great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we, have found, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Well, we've reached uh, just about the end of our discussion today. Uh, next week on Engage in Truth, we are going to have a guest on the program, and it's going to be regarding international evangelism. I think you're, you're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be absolutely incredible. The week following, we're going to recap a little bit and then finish this section and and finish up the teachings of uh, Chuck Swindoll and covering the disciplines that he's provided for us. So I appreciate you uh, listening today. I hope that you've been blessed by this broadcast, and we look forward to speaking with you in the future. This is a broadcast of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, and I just wish you a very, very blessed day.